Hello, and welcome to Genie Geeks Gems. For my very first episode, I have my long-suffering husband, Dave. Hello. <laughs> Yay, as you can tell, he's really excited to be here. Yep, proper. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay, so... Anyway, I asked Dave the other day, well, after I said you will do this podcast with me, um, I asked him if there was anything about his family that he'd like to know more about, because usually I research his family to death and tell him anything interesting anyway. And do you remember what you said, Dave? Uh, yeah, well, my paternal grandfather, um, no one really knows what happened, but he seemed to just disappear um, for some reason, and nobody knows why, he went, he kind of left the family and took off somewhere else. And there's also uh, an idea that my granddad and his sister had some siblings that I'm not aware of. Yeah, we found that out a few years ago, didn't we? Yes. And you'd like to know more about those siblings you said the other day. That's right, yes. <laughs> yes, well, that's what I focused on anyway, um, because I'm always trying to find your grandfather, great-grandfather, sorry, I should say. Um, but did you say his name? George, his name. Well, I don't George. think I did say his name. No, George. George Evans, yes. I'm always looking for George, um, but still haven't found him yet, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, so there's an ongoing mystery about where George ended up. But uh, for this podcast, we're just going to focus on these children and see where that takes us. Right. So unfortunately, I've, there's not a lot to say about the other children um, without ordering death certificates, um, which I'm too cheap to do. Um, but I am going to try and put this in a narrative to try and make it a little bit more interesting anyway um okay so your great grandfather george evans mm -hmm. he was born about 1893 in walsall uh, which was then staffordshire and now it's known as part of the west midlands yes yes <laughs> yeah you're very familiar with walsall aren't you dave yes i don't like it very much <laughs> why not it's a shithole I should say that Dave actually was born and raised in Walsall, so um, that's why he's so negative about it. But anyway, George was the son of a stone paviour. Oh. And it also kind of is mentioned as like a road labourer, so my impression from that is he kind of worked on the roads, paving the roads, I suppose. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I can't locate a birth record for George but I can for all his other siblings, so that's a bit weird. Um, however, uh, the Ebens surname is quite tricky. Um, it's been recorded under so many different variants and misspellings and mistranscriptions over the years. It sometimes is just real luck um, whether you find the right certificate. But he does appear with his parents in the censuses. So we were able to find out some more about him. Uh, and George worked as an iron worker. What do you know about iron workers? Uh, they predominantly work with iron. <laughs> um, 
1917, George marries Sarah Ann Crossley. She was known as Sarah Ann. She was born 1894, also in Warsaw. And her father was a bit and spur polisher. Mm, important. <laughs> well, in, the, in those days, I imagine it was. I imagine the bits are like the bits in the horse's mouth, aren't they? Like yeah. In there, what you call it? With the reins. Bridal and that. That's, that's the one. Yeah, a lot of, um, from what I've found, anyway, lots of bridal work and uh, leather sal- saddling and saddle, saddle work. What was it? Saddle works? Saddle yeah, industry? Yeah, there's a lot of big saddle industry and leather industry in Warsaw. All right, so they were born in 1917. Do you notice anything about that date? Anything you know may have been happening around that time? Uh, no. <laughs> you want to think about that a little more? 1917. Anything big happening in the world? Well, there was a war. It didn't start oh, in yes, 1917, did it? It started in 1914. No, but it was still going on in 1917, wasn't it? That's very true. Yeah, so we know he was in the army. All right, we have his service records. He signed up well before the army, the army, sorry, well before the war started. Um, he signed up 31st December 1912. I said okay. well before the war. I don't know how long they thought they might be going to war, but uh, yeah, 1912. So he signed up. Just in um, case. Yeah, I guess it was a good job for... There'll be a war soon, and I'm not missing out. <laughs> yeah, can't miss out on this adventure. Mm. Well, also, maybe it was just sick to death of, like, the iron working and saddle industry in Walsall and thought, I'll become a soldier. Nice, mm. different profession. But anyway, so the war's going on. He was in the army. It's 1917. Why was he there? I don't know. He probably run off, didn't he? Did he defect? Did he run off and think, sod ah. this war, I'm going to... You remembered that. Yes, that's right. We found out that he did desert at some point oh, in the des- war. He did desert. He did. <laughs> he did yeah. brunch as well. <laughs> he may have done. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, so he was a deserter. Whether it was around that time he deserted, I don't know, maybe we'll find out a bit more about that. He was discharged from the army 28th of May 1919. So not until the war ended. So again, that makes, I find it made 1917 a weird date, but I suppose maybe he was on leave or something. So did he, yeah, so he got married and then deserted after he got married. Uh, well, we, we might went back we might get and... we might get to that later, but um, I think he deserted. I think the first time he deserted was before they got married, um, but I don't think he deserted at the time of their marriage. But um, yeah, I'm getting confused about. I know what's coming up, you see, so I'm kind of getting a little bit confused about the the years there. Um, but he was discharged in 1919. Anyway, um, okay. so I think after the war finished, they kind of do a bit more homework. <laughs> Homework's the wrong word. Like, uh, what do they, they do? Like, um, not civilian work. Just work. They, so, no, service, like, I guess maybe tidying up the odds and ends after the war, or they do some work in in their home countries. Mopping still. blood. 
<laughs> Perhaps. Right. So he was discharged in 1919. Okay. Yep. Right. So their first child, their first daughter, Renee Victoria Ebbins. Oh, Renee. Born, yeah, Renee Victoria, which I thought was quite um, a posh sounding name. Um, she was born mid 1919. Okay. So it was like, I think it was the third quarter. Yeah, the third quarter. So around about, so we're thinking July, August, September. Mm -hmm. Um, So Sarah Ann was clearly pregnant before he was discharged, right? So he's obviously there because war ended 11th of November, 1918. It's not too crazy he's back in England. You know, the fighting has stopped. Um, And so, you know, obviously had a chance as a married couple. Um, but sadly, Renee died early 1921. So she's only two. Yeah, I think she maybe only was one at the mm. time. Um, she, she died just before the 1921 census was taken. Do you know what she died of? I do not because I am too cheap to order the death certificate. Mm. Yeah, so... This is why I said why I said that perhaps I haven't got that much information particularly, but I think these children form part of the story of George and Sarah Ann. Mm. But yes, so she died just before the 1921 census. So not only was her death tragic uh, for a young child dying, but also it's frustrating for family historians because it's also the reason why we didn't know she existed for so long. You know, children born and dying between the censuses, uh, they often go undiscovered. Like mm. a lot of the time, you only know who the children are in the family based on who was there on the census record. And if they were born before, you know, before the next census and died before the next census was taken, a lot of times you you don't really know they ever yeah. existed until you kind of deep dive down other avenues. Uh, but anyway. The 1921 census is now out, and I'm lucky enough to be able to access it. Uh, and I found Sarah Ann, uh, not George, just Sarah Ann, with her parents at 35 Farringdon Street in Warsaw. Right. She was working at Birch and Sons, which was apparently an iron and brass founders. So, again, working in the ironwork trade or the iron industry. But, yeah, no George. So... Where was he? So obviously I tried to find George. Maybe he's working away somewhere. Maybe, you know, I guess he wouldn't have been with the army at that time. But, you know, sometimes they're in different places. It's just one night. Um, But he wasn't with his parents. I was able to find his parents in the 1921 census um, and some of his siblings, but I couldn't find him. Um, Again, as I mentioned before, Webin's name is very difficult to locate in records sometimes because it's often under some weird mm, spelled variants. differently. Yeah, I, I think my favourite one was Ebages. Ebages. I should say that the name is actually spelled E B B A N S. But yeah, Ebages. We should change it to Ebages. I think it is. I think it's more unusual, isn't it? Yeah, I think as well. A lot of the time. Come. <laughs> so those ebages to wind. rise up against <laughs> oppressive forenames. Oppressive forenames. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, long as the name Ebbins has been synonymous with laziness and alcoholism, 
<laughs> we will cast it off <laughs> and become effigies. Well, anyway, I couldn't find him. Okay. okay. But the next year, in March 1922, your grandfather, another George Evans, was born. And we actually have his birth certificate. Uh, and he was born on 74 Upper Green Lane. Okay. okay. Do you even know where these places are, being a local? I know where Green Lane is. Oh, okay. I don't know oh, where I think we Upper Green Lane is. I know where Farringdon Street is, although I don't really think Farringdon Street probably exists anymore, as it did. As in with of, houses and things. Yeah, because of where I think it is. I think there's like yeah, shops and lots of flats and stuff. But I'm oh, not okay. sure. It's a shame, isn't it? It'd be, I think lots of changing changes there all the time, isn't there? It is a shame um, when they knock down slums and build more slums. <laughs> well, maybe it's a shame that they weren't able to look after them in the first place before they got to the point of being slums. Well, yes, that as well. That's another story. All right, so anyway, your granddad, George, was born 1922. So obviously they were still a couple because otherwise. Mm. George would never have been. Yeah, so it's still weird where was George on this 1921 census. In mid-1924, they had another child. This one was called Sydney. Sydney. Sydney Evans. Sydney Evans. That's right. Turns out actually uh, Sarah Ann had a brother called Sydney. So I presume... He was named after that brother. Um, but it's even more tragic than little Rene Victoria because he died very soon after. I know this because his birth and his death uh, were registered in the same quarter. All right. So born into death. Yeah. We, we don't even know if he was even born alive. So... Oh, right, he yeah. could have died soon after, or he could have been stillborn. Um, we we don't without ordering these certificates. Um, and then in late 1925, they had another daughter who we won't name because she's still alive, and for privacy reasons, we oh yeah. Uh, so we'll just refer to her as the daughter. Um, yeah, but if you remember, I was in contact with the granddaughter of this daughter a few years ago mm-hmm. and her mother told her that one of these children was named Dorothy uh, but she was born without a skull or something along those born lines. without a skull born without a skull well that should have been documented for the whole <laughs> world shouldn't it really well it does make me think we should order those death certificates but you just have a bag for an head <laughs> how can you be born without a skull how would you get out? Oh, but would you, uh, like, well, I maybe that, that may have led, you know, been part of why they may not have been born alive. I mean, during but, birth of a human, the skull is the main obstacle, isn't it? It causes all mm. the problems. What does does this child just born with like a long, thin, sausagey bag for an end <laughs> or what? How can you ever be born without a skull? <laughs> I, I, no, it's probably not something we should be laughing about, though, because... No, well, you know, obviously not. I wonder how common it is these days. What, it's, you know, it doesn't imagine. happen, I don't think. It's ridiculous. Well, I don't know. Neither do I. I would imagine it doesn't hop, happen as much, but... 
And if it does yeah. happen, why is nobody telling you about it? Why do you have to find <laughs> out by accident? Maybe it's just recorded as still and they don't go into the the, de- the details about it. Well, they should. But um, but yeah, but she did say that she thought one of the children was named Dorothy. I've found no record of a Dorothy. Um, this may have just been, you know, memory being confused or or not knowing. Um, right. I, okay. Yeah, I found no record of her again. The Evans name's a bit weird, but I've tried lots of different variants, and I'm, I'm not sure. I think it may have just been a mistaken uh, recall. Um, Perhaps yeah, so... it was really premature. How premature would you have to be before you to be born? Well, that's a school? good point. Uh, well, maybe uh, I was thinking maybe along the lines: how premature would you have to be for it? Maybe not to get. I think any any child that is born that maybe is childlike in form is i think their birth would be registered i think it's do you know what i mean but but then again that also the question i'm not sure if they were born dead Mm. were they born because they weren't alive do you know what i mean like can they register but i don't know i don't know enough about that actually it's something i should probably look into well i think you should all right i will Anyway, so now, Dave, you know something I think you mentioned b- before earlier when I introduced you. Um, you know a bit about what happened to George and Sarah Anne around this time you know, after these children were born. Yeah, well, apparently George and Sarah Anne broke up and George ran away to Wolverhampton, apparently. Uh, and uh, as the story goes, yeah, as the story goes, and started a new family, which then, well, then 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 we down out of it because we're still unaccountable for old George, sneaky, crafty person. That George. Yeah, where's Georgie now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I. I'm very excited about this news. I think you remember when you came home the other day, I yeah, just discovered, and you said, made I'm this I'm really excited about something, but I'm not telling you what it is. Ha, ha, mm. you said. Surprise. Yeah. Podcast. Surprise. I've been recording. Yes, so there's been a recent development. Right, so while I was trying to find out where a recent George development. was. He's still alive. Well, <laughs> Recent for me in my uh, research. So yeah, he's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we found him alive and well, and here he is. <laughs> God, what would he be now then if he was born 1893? Now it's 2023. Oh, 130 years old. <laughs> Have I done that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah we, we found we found George. We've dug him up for you. Still drinking anyway. and smoking. Good old George. <laughs> Well, anyway, so I was trying to find him, 1921, because mm. I thought he's got to be around somewhere. I, I didn't think he'd be overseas because he was discharged from the army and he wasn't rich. He wasn't gallivanting around the world. Um, so I started searching the newspapers for 74 Upper Green Lane. Do you remember that address? Ooh, yeah, where he was uh, living, etc. Yeah, when your granddad was born. Yes. Where your granddad, George, was born. Uh-huh. Okay. So I thought, right, so the, he was born 1922. That's close to 1921. Let's see what's going on at that address because I've had some success 
there. Well, I found an article um, that I hadn't found before, uh, and I wondered partly where, why I might not have found it before was because it was transcribed. Their names were transcribed as George Maine and Bush Ann Eben. <laughs> what? George Maine, M-A-N-E, yes. and Bush Ann Eben, B-U-S-H, Bush Ann Eben, E-B-B-E-N. What is it? That's Sarah was called. Yeah, Bush so Ann. George Ebens and uh, Sarah Ann Ebens, the, you know, the, they have auto transcription software and that they don't do a great job sometimes. Okay. Um, yeah, so I was, you know, I searched for George Evans. doesn't come up. I searched, searched for Sarah Ann Evans. It didn't come up because I didn't search. Strangely enough, I didn't search for George Maine or Bush Ann Eben. So um, it, it didn't actually show up. Right. But I found an article that gives us so much more information. Now, we found a few years ago, I found other articles, I think, in 19... 19- 26 article and a 1930 article um, about George not giving any maintenance money. Yeah, I remember you saying he's a bit scandalous. Yeah, so we knew, again, but it still didn't answer the question of, you know, was he chucked out? Did he leave of his own accord? Uh, Mm -hmm. But this 1920 article uh, gives us a bit more information. I'm going to read it out to you. It's it's a fairly long article. It's kind of detailed. I didn't expect uh, it to be so detailed because before it was only like a couple of paragraphs mentioning it. Uh, and the heading of this article is, I love her. Oh, right. That sounds quite nice to me. Quite it a, does. It sound, sounds positive. A promising kind of yeah. notice. I love her and... The subheading, ex-soldier desires return of wife who asked for separation. So he wants her back. So 1920, so that was a year before the census, uh, a year after he was discharged, around about the time, nearly a year after he was discharged. uh, Their daughter, Renee Victoria, was still alive at this point. And she's actually even mentioned in this article, which is also quite amazing. So All right, so what's exciting? No, sir, I have given him too many trials, Oh, was the reply of Sarah Ann Ebbins when asked by the presiding magistrate, Mr. S.B. Weeway, I'm not sure how to pronounce that, um, at the Guildhall on Monday, if there was any possibility of a reconciliation being effected with her husband, George Ebbins, 38 Farringdon Street, mm. against whom she sought a separation order on the grounds of persistent cruelty. Oh, my God. What a bastard. Mm. Mm. Mr. H.A. Tucker, who appeared for the wife, stated that the parties were married at Walsall on June 14, 1917, while the husband, remember we're wondering about Mm -hmm. why they were married then? Well, while the husband, who had served eight years with the Colours, was home on leave from the army. So he was home on leave at the time. It wasn't anything shady. He wasn't deserted at the time. Or he hadn't hadn't deserted at the time. 
He was demobbed in May 1919, and the only child of the marriage was born on July 18 last. Mm -hmm. Renee Victoria, yes. Until which date the parties had been on good terms. On peace day, July 19, however, defendant came home late, the worse for drink, and notwithstanding his wife's condition, so she'd just given birth, basically, Uh notwithstanding his wife's condition, he caught hold of her by the shoulders and flung her about the bed. He then said he would strangle her Mm. and the child. Defendant, that is a lie. (laughs) Yeah, did not. That's George. (laughs) (laughs) How would he have said that? Say that in your accent. Oh, (laughs) don't. Well, they have his words as being that is a lie. Disregarding the interruption, so they ignored him, uh, Mr. Tucker went on to state that defendant alleged that the child belonged not to him, but to his father-in-law. So he's basically claiming um, her own father Mm. got her pregnant, which is a horrible thing to say. Complainant then got out of bed, so Sarah Ann got out of bed, and would, had she not been so weak, have gone to her mother, with whom she was now living at 35 Farringdon Street. So now, when this article was written, she was living with her mother at the time. She was living with George. She eventually succeeded in pacifying her husband, who that night slept on the room floor. Only two days afterwards, defendant was pressing his wife to get up and cook his food for him. They continued to live together and were apparently on good terms until about the end of August, when defendant came home again the worse for drink and picking up the carving knife, slapped his wife on the arms with the flat of it and repeated his allegations as to the child's paternity. Right. How do you think that went down? Well, I don't know. Did she kind of punch him in the face or something? I don't think so. Uh, She doesn't claim to. He doesn't say, but I'm just, you know, that's your dad's kid, that is. Sorry, I can't do the accent. (laughs) Well, you did a good job, I suppose. Well, thank you very much. I have heard it for a long time. She went to the door and defendant punched her in the back and then pushed her outside. She had the child with her, so that little Renee had the child Mm. with her, uh, and that night had to stay in an entry until 2.30 when she went and knocked her mother up, which I think is not the way we would say that today, Uh, but (laughs) she went and knocked on her mother's door, I presume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she forgave him the next day and they lived together again for about two months when defendant had another outburst. Shit. She had accompanied him to his mother's house where he had quarreled, so his mother's house, so the Evans household, where uh-huh. he had quarreled with his, sorry, she had accompanied him to his mother's house where he had quarreled with and struck his sister-in-law because oh, she God. He ought to be at work to keep his wife and child. So obviously, well, wasn't to working. be fair, nobody likes going to work, do they? <laughs> yes. Well, actually, though, I I um did find in his army records though he was a bit poorly. I'm not sure if he was poorly enough to not work, considering he has a child, a young mm-hmm. child. But uh, I think he suffered uh, malaria while he was serving. And had some kind of repercussions to his health. So obviously he's not working. Uh, And but the fact that his sister-in-law 
had a go at him about it means that maybe they think he probably could be working. He just didn't want to. to. Work, yeah. yeah, he's obviously going out drinking, etc. So maybe not that poorly. Um, but anyway, so um, defendant punched and abused his wife repeatedly while going home. What a lovely bloke. Mm. On reaching home, defendant threw a quantity of clothes into the fire and was restrained from throwing crocs at complainant by his sister. So his sister must have followed as well, knowing he was in a mood. I'm not sure what crocs are. I don't think they had our plastic shoes in these days. Crocs are plates and bowls and kitchen Ah. tableware, like... Uh, so is that a bit of um, uh, like Midland slang, or is that just old language that did like? Well, you know what? It, I don't know. It must be a Midlandsy type of thing, mustn't it? Because I've never heard anyone else say Crocs apart from crockery. people from. But then it's well, yeah. But then it's mm. um, quite common. Okay. For me, I don't know. I just know what it means, so I don't, never questioned it. I suppose. No. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing that with me. Better than, better than Google. Anyway, so he was restrained from throwing crocs at Sarah Ann by his sister. Complainant again left him, but the following Monday, she accepted his promise to behave differently and gave him another chance. You know what? At this point, it's as much her fault as it is his. <laughs> well, I'm not sure I agree completely, but it is that that age-old story, isn't it? The the old um, abused spouse. Um, I suppose so, yeah. Hoping they'll change. And do it again. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but about a fortnight ago, when he again assaulted her, she decided to finally leave him. Yay, Good. well done, Sarah yeah. Ann. Yay. Complainant gave evidence bearing out her solicitor's statement. So obviously that must have been something the solicitor read out. Um, mm-hmm. So she agreed with that and added that her husband, who was previously a lance corporal in the Gloucesters, deserted for two months in 1918 and was at home in November and December. He was an iron worker by trade, and for some time he paid her £2.10 ten shilling a week. But once he that gave her... A lot. Maybe. I wonder how much he earned. But once he gave her only 15 shillings, sixpence altogether in nine weeks. Okay, yeah. so he was... Sounds like he agreed to pay her his £2, 10 shillings, but he wasn't even given her that, uh, 15 shillings and six pounds to cover nine weeks at one point. Mrs. Sarah Ann Crossley, mother of complainant, so Sarah Ann's mother was also called Sarah Ann, um, uh, okay. also gave evidence and said that from time to time she had had to supply her daughter with food and on occasions with a little money. After stating that he had served in India and Egypt and had contracted malarial fever, through which he was unable to work regularly and was even then being attended by a doctor every other day, defendant, in reply to the chairman's question regarding the allegation against the child's fraternity, exclaimed, I love the child as much as I love her, his wife. But when I... <laughs> I thought that as well. It's like, well, I'm not sure how much you love your wife here. I'm not sure that's um, the kind of statement you think you're making. Oh, I hate the pair of them. He might as well have said. 
So I love the child as much as I love her. But when I have these turns come over me, I don't mean half the things I say. So it does sound like he knew he was speaking shit, um, that he didn't mm. actually believe this horrible accusation, but he just said it when he was drunk for the hell of it, I guess. Defendant further expressed anxiety for his wife to return to him. His health was such, he said, that he could not be sure of his earnings. The wife's parents, he alleged, were unduly influencing her against returning to him. Shock horror. I wouldn't want my daughter returning to him either. Sounds like horrible. No, sounds like you know, a very nice plant, doesn't he? I'm not sure he's a great guy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so these pesky parents are trying to influence her not to go back to him. Her father having threatened to disown her if she did go back. Well, that's not good behaviour either, is it? Probably not. Maybe he thought this will work. She won't want me to disown her. I don't know. The bench well, decided. Might have been horrible as well. Yeah, he might have been. He might have been. I don't know. I have no evidence for that. But the bench decided to adjourn the case for a month, with a view to the parties coming together again. Defendant, in the meantime, to pay his wife twenty shillings a week. Oh, okay. I see. That's yeah. the end of that so, article. So a lot right. of information. Yeah, that. from one article that has gone unread mm. for yeah, a long time. Obviously, that it was a story that they thought their their readers would be interested in, but that's not the only yeah, article. Yeah. What was the headline on the article? Look at this right bastard! Oh, it was what I love found. her. Remember? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I love remember, her. Yeah. Yeah. How would you say? How would you say that? Oh, I love her. Oh, oh, I love her. her. Oh, I do. <laughs> well. That wasn't the only article, though. I found another article that I had not seen before and therefore you don't know about. Uh -huh. um, in 1925, okay, so five years after. This one was from August 8th, uh, 1925, right. okay? And the heading of this article was, You Will Get Tired First. Uh. Right. What on earth does that mean? Who's saying this yeah. to who? Right. So in quotes, you will get tired first. And then it says underneath, magistrates comment on a defendant's refusal to pay. Oh, is it George again? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think's going on here? <laughs> I think George is had enough of giving her <clears throat> no money and wants to give her even less. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> had enough of this. I'm giving you even uh, yeah. less than nothing. I've been giving you no money for ages now. It's <laughs> getting me down. <laughs> well, the judge says as well that it, the article starts with another quote from the judge or the magistrate. You will get more tired of going to jail than we shall get of sending you there. Oh, my God. Oh. Mr. I think that's a K. Mr. K.J. Shaw presiding magistrate at the Walsall Police Court yesterday to George Evans, back of 74 Upper Green, Upper Green Lane, so not in the main residence, at the back of 74 <coughs> Upper Green Lane, who declared, so George Evans declared that he would not pay a pound a week under a separation order granted to his wife, Sarah Ann Evans, 35 Farringdon Street, so it sounds like she's still with her parents, uh, on the ground of his persistent cruelty. Complainant mm. said they had been married eight years and she left her husband a month ago. So she obviously did go back to him 
because this is 1925. Yeah. The other article is 1920. So obviously, Dad's Been warning didn't really hold much. Dragging it on for years, isn't it? Really? Dragging it on for years, but as you, you know, said good old his name was Joseph. Her father uh, did actually take his daughter back in. He said he'd disown her, but obviously, yeah, well, good. Yeah. yeah, so I like I said, I don't think he's a bad guy. Um, Complainant said they'd been married eight years and she left her husband a month ago after he had given her two running kicks and tried to strangle her. Two running kicks? Two running kicks. How big was their house? <laughs> well, we don't know if it happened in the house. You would imagine it well, probably did. Bad, yeah. Would you know, just come outside a bit while uh, <laughs> <tried> I <really>. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, what a horrible bloke. Ugh. She previously obtained a separation order against him in 1920. So obviously, yeah, well, they they adjourned for a month, but obviously she received a separation order. Mm. Oh, unless unless that was a separation order, making him pay a few shillings, whatever the shillings was a week, or maybe I, I've got a feeling they probably got back and then settled it maybe at the pound a week, um, rather than it was 20 shillings, wasn't it? Anyway, she previously yeah. obtained a separation order against him in 1920, but after she had been away two years, she returned to him. Since then, however, he had been even worse than before and had repeatedly assaulted her. He earned £2.10 shilling a week and was often drunk. So that's how much he said he was giving her to start with, so that also sounds like he must have been lying back then. He's earning. He earned £2.10 a week. And was often drunk. Well, he might have been at first, might have been all nicey nicey and just give her all his wages like mm, some maybe. people did. But and then, then, like, after a while, got sick of it. Yeah, but where was he getting his money for drinking then? I'm sure he was holding something back for himself. Anyway, Mr. S.E. Loxton, magistrate's clerk, says if it was not for the drink, the police court would be shut up. <laughs> so, in other words, Everyone's always pissed up here, causing all this trouble. We wouldn't have to bother about this court if people would just stay sober. It transpired that the defendant did not pay his wife the maintenance allowance of 20, 25 shillings a week. The, the text is a bit blurry in this article. He did not pay the maintenance allowance of 25 shillings a week under the previous order. And Mr. Shaw remarked, if we had known, we should have sent you to jail where you ought to be. Defendant, oh. quite right, sir. Well, how how would he have said that? Quite right, sir. So he's like, "Yep, guilty as charged. Yep, should have sent me to jail." Defendant yeah, not bothered. <laughs> doesn't sound it, does he? Defendant denied that he had been cruel to his wife, and said the trouble arose because she was at her mother's five days out of six and did all the cooking oh. there. And when he came home, the fire was out and there was nothing for him to eat. It sounded a bit of a grim place to climb to, to be fair. True. Well, mind you, I'm not surprised like she's at her mother's six days, five days out of six. What about the other Sounds day? like arrows. Ha. But five days out of six? What about the seventh day? Yeah, what about the other day? Maybe they just went to church. <laughs> the Sabbath, <day>. yeah. <laughs> they chilled on Sunday, like old David Craig. David Craig? Ooh. What was his name? Craig yeah, David. David Gray. <laughs> Craig David. Yeah. Um, anyway, so he's moaning about that. She left him of her own accord and the home was there 
for her. Sorry, she left him of her own accord and their home was there for her if she cared to return. The magistrates, as stated, granted an order with a pound a week for the maintenance of the complainant and her child. Who's that child? Renee had died in 1922. Oh, so that would be George Juniors. Yeah, Georgie boy, your granddad. Yeah. So, obviously, your poor granddad maybe knew him a little bit. I do remember um, his sister's granddaughter saying that um, his sister said she never knew her father. Her sister, sorry, her grandmother. Grandmother said that she never knew her father, so... Okay, so yeah, when she, so he was gone by the time she was capable of remembering stuff. Yeah, whereas obviously George got to know (laughs) the guy a little bit, perhaps. Well, how old he was, 1920, he would have been three at this time, about three. Mm. Mm. So again, I don't know, maybe he won't, but it's a bit traumatic to see all this stuff going on in your home against your mother. So maybe he did remember some of it. Maybe you did. Yeah. So that was 1925. Now, 1926, you do know, but I think it might be worth for our listeners to hear the next step in the story. They won't be surprised to um, hear that he did not (laughs) keep up his maintenance order. Um, This heading is nothing for his wife. This was the 6th of February, 1926 in the Walsall Observer and South Staffordshire Chronicle. Nothing for his wife. Having contributed nothing to his wife's support since September last, George Ebbins of 74 Green Lane appeared before the Walsall magistrates on Tuesday, charged on a warrant with the non-payment of £19.14 shillings arrears and costs. Oh, that's a lot. And costs due under a separation order. Mrs. Ebbins stated that she had been dependent on poor law relief, but that had been stopped. The Guardian telling her, Guardians telling her that she must press her husband to support her. Defendant told the magistrates he had not done any work since last August, his only income being 18 shillings a week from the labour. They've got that in inverted commas, mm. I'm not sure what they mean by the labour. Social security oh, payment. Labour pattern, yeah, no, the ah, labour they used to call it. You're a font of knowledge. The magistrate, <laughs> great to have you here. The magistrate's clerk signed on many times <laughs> in that Walsall <laughs> way. Uh, the magistrate's clerk, yeah. Mr. S. E. Loxton, maybe same name as before, uh, but you have not given her anything out of the 19 shillings or 18 shillings defendant. How could I when I have got to pay my way? Take it away, Dave. Say it. Ooh. How could I when I've got to pay my way? The clerk, you could have got the allowance for your wife and two children from the exchange. If it had been for yourself, you would have taken good care to get it. Good point. Hmm. Defendant was committed to jail for two months in default of paying his wife 10 shillings a week. Do you remember the previous article that you will get sick of going to jail? More than <laughs> yeah, he's still out of is he? He's still just I'll going. I'll take it, he says. Uh, that was 1926. And the next and last article I have uh, was 1930. So another four years on. Right. And this is titled £174 arrears. Oh, dear. 
Is he still in prison? Well, I presume he was let out to try and earn some money to pay these arrears. But the quote, it starts with a quote. I should have liked to give you another chance, but it is impossible. This has been going on for five years, said the mayor of Walsall. <laughs> mayor of Walsall, oh my God, said the mayor of Walsall yesterday in sentencing George Ebbins, aged 34, labourer, 35 Farringdon Street, to three months imprisonment for owing £174 maintenance arrears and costs due to his wife and two children. She who will remain nameless. Ebbins pleaded, I have not been picking up a lot of money and I have had to pay for my lodgings. And that's it. Oh, well, that sounds like a valid excuse because he ain't got that prison to lodge in anymore, is <laughs> exactly. he? Sounds like he wants to go just so he doesn't mm. have to pay for anything. Mind mm. you, he wouldn't be able to do so How many times did he go to prison? Sounds like a lot. If you think that article that said that you'll get sick of going before we get sick of sending you, um, there's obviously been a few times then. That was in 1925, wasn't it? Yeah. Took it up as a challenge. (laughs) All right. So, interestingly, though, I did find another article, not about the Ebenses, uh, George and Sarah Ann, but an article in 1927 about another man living at that address, 74 Upper Green Lane, was also being oh, cruel right. to his wife. So oh, maybe it was something in the walls. Yeah, maybe it was cursed. A cursed house. Mm-hmm. Was, it, um, was it abandon hope all who enter here? <laughs> yeah, all ye women who enter here. But there's another development. Good God. Well, for me anyway, it's probably more interesting to me. But um, do you remember how it said? in that article in 1920 that he was living at 38 Farringdon Street. You probably don't. It was a while ago now. Oh, you don't really know. Ain't that where I think he will live? 35 uh, Farringdon Street. Parents. That was 35. Oh, so, oh. yeah, just down the road, 38. So <laughs> Obviously, that was why it was easy to go knock her up. Only a few mm. doors down. Um, but anyway, this said 38 Farringdon Street in 1920. So that gave me a clue. thought, ah, I can't find him under his name. Because remember, I couldn't find George Evans on the 1921 census. Perhaps uh-huh. I can look up 38 Farringdon Street. And I looked up 38 Farringdon Street, and he wasn't there. It was a completely different uh-huh. family. I know. It's like, ah! But I'm not one to give up. So I decided I'll just take a little stroll, a virtual stroll, down Farringdon Street, see who else is around at that time, since they seem to be living in close proximity to each other. And guess what? I found him. Oh, where is he? Yeah. In somebody else's he was at number drinking th- all the booze. <laughs> <laughs> he was at number 32. Number 32. Oh, what's he doing at number 32? He was boarding in the house of the Greatrix family. Uh, Greatrix? Mm. Well, yeah, I've seen mm. it spelt Greatorix, but in this case they've spelt it greatrex g-r-e-a-t-r-e-x there's george greatrex who was an iron worker his wife florence and their four children and george now 27 years and eight months old um he says it's written in pencil though so i'm not sure how certain stone this job was but it says he was a puddler so that's also somebody works in the iron works can't remember exactly what that entails but i've seen it before um and it says 
It's got J. Russell, I think, company. J. Russell Company he was working for. And this is Cyclops Iron Tube Stripworks. So, right, that sounds a bit mad, don't it? Hmm. So, it, at least, that, well, that was 1921, I suppose, when he still had a job every now and then. So, mm. well, so that was special for me. Yay! I was quite excited to hear that. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, well, you've done very well. I thank think, you. Well, on finding about George. Yeah, well, it, it started with you wanting to know more about these children who, like I said, unfortunately, without well, yeah. ordering the certificates, um, I didn't really have a lot to tell you about them. But yeah, well, it's, it yeah. led to me discovering all this other stuff. Yeah, loads of interesting stuff about George and Sarah. It's more interesting than the kids. <laughs> well, yeah. Anyway. Well, certainly <clears> a lot more <throat> dramatic yeah. anyway. So I wonder what he was like. <laughs> yeah. And there we know, don't we? <laughs> well, we still don't know where he went, unfortunately. It's still <clears throat> the family mystery. So I'm not bothered really. It seemed like a old bastard. I still, I still <laughs> want to know. Like, surely, like, it's just weird that if, why didn't he carry on being a bastard? I think he must have changed his name because I still cannot find him. He's not in the 1939 register. Can't find a death record. Doesn't even appear in any of the newspapers. Again, spelling problems and that, but... I think he may have changed his name. Um, maybe. maybe by some glorious coincidence, someone listening to this podcast will be able to shed some light on this. Yeah, well, anyway, yeah, well, yeah, well, you did very well. Thank you. I'm impressed. Thank you very much. It's I, I was actually quite pleased because I already tell you everything that I discover anyway, so it was good to have a, a little mm. bit of news to tell you. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you very much for being my guest and posing the question that led to such a great discovery. Uh, oh, thank you for etc. and all that. <laughs> well, hopefully um, people will have enjoyed what they heard and will join in again next time. Okay. Mm -hmm. Bye. Bye.